Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. It could be something in me. So for a moment, just look. I want to enjoy Jesus. So if you want to enjoy him, find out what's in you that's hindering you from enjoying Jesus that's about you and not blame others. We're going to talk about that in a moment. The third is to accept his invitation. And we talked about, he said, come unto me, all ye that are labor and heavy laden, come unto me and I'll give you rest. We got that. But he also says, you that are thirsty, you come to me. So I have a God who says, I don't care how broken you are or I don't care how lost you are. He says, I'm inviting you into me. I'm inviting you into my presence. I want you and me to be together with no walls. And so it's so neat to know that you have someone who wants you to be there. Let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life that you knew a lot of people were being invited to something and you weren't invited to that? Has that ever happened to you that people were being invited that you knew you weren't invited and you couldn't really clearly figure out why you were left out? If that's happened to you, would you raise your hand right now? Family reunions, events, etc. Doesn't that kind of kind of rip you? Well, here's what I'd like to tell you. Is that Jesus is always inviting us. The problem is we don't always accept. There's some invitations. We get an invitation. We think, boy, I don't want to go to that. Then you others, well... They've invited me. I'm going to invite them. Okay, we're going to do this. All right. Maybe it'll advance my business. It'll help me get whatever. So I'll go. And then there are some invitations. I want you to raise your hand on this. You open that up and like, wow, I got an invitation for this. This is really cool. How many of you had one of those? Would you raise your hand? I had one of those. I, was, I wasn't on the island very long with Carol. And some um, big wig in the military was able to get Carol and me an invitation, not just to go to Pearl Harbor, but to go to Pearl Harbor on base in a special place where they had the parade of ships. And it was that special, I forget what year it was, when they honored the vets in a very special way. And Tom Brokaw spoke. And we were able to go to this. I mean, I still have chicken skin thinking about that. But you know what? That's gone. It's over with. May never get another invitation. May never see anything like that again. But Jesus invites me all the time. So if you're not invited with another group, don't worry about it. Jesus is inviting you, and that's how you have relationships, so accept his invitation. And the L is look to his leadership. Remember that all that you're doing in life, you've got to follow his leadership. If you look at the passage that we've been studying, and I can look up here for just a moment, even though you've got Peter and the gang out there, if you watch, Jesus is still giving the directions. Cast the net. Come over here. Let me give you this. You need to do this. Feed here. Shepherd that. Follow me. So he is still the leader. And so I would hope that we've all come to a point in our life that we are listening to the leader, that we are leaning in the direction of what the leader has to tell us. Now, I'm not talking about the earthly leader. That's another message for another time. But I'm talking about in this context is listening to the leader. And the leader in our life, now watch carefully as I say this, is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the way we know who is leading us, not so much is it God or is it the Spirit or is it Jesus? Who is it? It's is it of the Godhead leading us and not some other secular world force that's out there is going to be found right in here. And so he does want to lead us. And perhaps, as I thought about this, isn't it interesting that when Jesus says, cast the net on the other side, they followed the leader and they got the result. And I'm wondering if all of us, in some measure, we have this feeling of emptiness in our life 
because we haven't followed the leader. We've tried to sort it all out ourselves, and it didn't happen. Now, I'm not telling you that you cast your net on the other side, that you're going to get rich, you're going to get over cancer. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about, watch this, now, the feeling, the inside sense of place, as we say here in Hawaii, when you did what God told you to do, how blessed that really is. That's the result that we really want, and he promises that. So again, come and have breakfast. Come and have fellowship with the Lord. Spend time with him. Love him with all of your heart, soul, and mind. All right, to conclude the message, we're going to give you the last two points of how to repurpose your life. I put down here, tend my lambs, or you could say feed his people. That's easy for you to remember. That's why I put it down there. But I'd like to open it up a little bit. So if you will, follow along in your scriptures now. This is uh, John chapter 21. There are Bibles in the uh, racks underneath the chair in front of you. Grab one. I'm using the New American. So let's look here in verse 15. We'll pick it up there. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, or Jonas, as you see in other parts, do you love me more than these? I want to pause for a moment. I I wish I had weeks to teach this passage because it's so rich, but I need to help you understand something. There were seven guys there, and Jesus could have easily said, hey, John, listen to me. He could have said the whole list is the guys that are here. Thomas, listen to me. Nathaniel, listen to me. Listen, Nathaniel, Nate, you listen to me. He didn't do that. He picked out Peter. Have you ever wondered why in the world did he pick out Peter? That's a legitimate question. He could have talked at all, but he picked out Peter. I'm going to give you my opinion. Besides the fact that Peter seems to be the one that talky, 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 and like some people like to say that he had a mouth that was shaped like a foot because he kept putting his foot in his mouth all the time, we might get all of that. If you also do do a deeper study, you're going to find that his name, Peter, was first Simon. That looks more like his old life or his life apart from following Christ even as a believer. And that when Jesus wanted to say something special about Peter, him being a special person in his new life that's in Christ, he would use the word Peter. And so he made the distinction between Simon and then Peter. Oddly enough, in this passage, you'll notice that John keeps referring to Peter as Peter, and he doesn't refer to Peter as Simon Peter, because John is writing this after Peter got the Holy Spirit and after Peter began to fully follow the Lord. And so now John and the rest of the boys saw him as Peter because that's the new life that Christ created for him. But Jesus is calling him Simon here, all right, son of Jonah here. But even in that, I don't think that's the reason he was doing this. I believe he's doing this because from the very beginning in the mind of God, God knew that Peter was going to be divinely designed as as an influencer, as a leader. And all through his life, you can see that even in his unsaved state, there was dynamics of his leadership. Then when he became a follower of Christ for three years, Peter was the first one out of the boat. The rest of the guys didn't get out of the boat. He got out of the boat, but Peter gets a bad rap, but he got out of the boat first. Even all the way up to the end, Peter is the one who went to the Sea of Galilee. He is the one that says, I'm going fishing. Come on, along. That kind of, He's a leader. Now, why am I telling you this? When you see, after Jesus leaves, the Spirit of God comes, the beginning of the church, in a sense, had its greatest, most influential spokesman, was not Paul first, was Peter first. Peter was the leader. And so perhaps there's great teaching in this. When Jesus was now speaking to the guys, he selected the leader, and he he knew that if the leader got it right, the followers would get it right. Yet we all need it. All those guys, by extension, were Simon Peter's, We're an extension like him as well, but Peter was the leader of the band and he's speaking to him first. And it's interesting because Peter got this dialogue thing going. Often, I believe, Peter was saying the very same things that the disciples were thinking. 
How many of you, when you read through the, the Gospels and you're following this Peter, you're saying, yeah, I'd say the same thing. I know it's the same question. What's the, what's the problem? And then you get your face slapped by Jesus too in love, all right? And that's how Peter was. And so he's speaking to them. Well, let's go back to the passage. So Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Now, some people think that it might refer to the fish. Some think it might refer to the other disciples. I'm not convinced it's referred to the other disciples as much as the context is more about the fishing and why he went there and all of that. So I think it's more, do you love me more than these, than the boat and the fishing and the going out with the guys? It's the whole dynamic of a life. Do you love me more than all of this that you're doing, all these things? Do you love me? Now, it's also interesting. He says, do you love me? Underline that word love there in your Bible because you're going to see the word loved used in English one way, but in the Greek it's uh, two ways. This way he says, do you love me? This is a word in the Greek, is the word agapeo or agape. That would be, and I know some of you know enough Greek that you're saying, oh, I know what that means. That means unconditional love. It, it, it does mean that. I'm not going to ever take away from that. But it means far more than that. It means an unconditional love that has the response of complete surrender to a dying to self to make that other person's life better. Completely surrendering, committing to that person. So if I love my wife and I love her with agape love, it's not just I unconditionally love her the way she is. I am also saying that I am unselfishly going to give up my life and every part about my life to add value to her life to serve her. So what he's really saying now to Peter this, Simon, in this case, he says, Simon, do you love me unconditionally with a, a sense of forceful commitment and surrender to me and to what I want you to do? That idea, unconditional love. It's kind of a technical term rather than an emotional word. It's, it's an action word rather than a feeling word. All right? Let's go a little bit further. And so what did Peter say back to him? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. That's a different word, love. That's the word filial love, and I'd like to make it more contemporary, and I'm going to call it an affectionate term. Lord, um, I, I, I show you affection. I affectionately love you. In other words, you're like my brother. It's like we have some things in common. We're, we're close, all right? But it's not that unconditional, full surrender of a commitment to you. Yeah, I'm more affectionate to you than I am to a tree, that kind of thing, but not to the point I'm fully surrendered to you. So it goes on a little bit, and he said, and Jesus said the second time, Simon, notice he didn't call him Peter. He says, do you agape, do you fully unconditionally, do you completely surrender in a committed way, love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. Now go back to verse 16, when Jesus said, do you love me? In verse 15, he says, do you love me more than these? There's a little, you know, you might say, yeah, I love you more than this, but maybe not more than that. Did you catch it? This is very technical now. Do you love me more than that? Yeah, I do love you more than that. All right? It'd be like me telling my wife, I, I love Carol more than I like Brussels sprouts. Okay? You see, that, what a big deal is that? But when I say I love you, that means I love you and everything else doesn't matter. I love you. That's why Jesus says, do you love me? Not more than these. Now, strictly, do you love me? Okay. Then he goes on to say, oh, Lord, yes, you know that I affectionate you. I have this affinity to you. I, I love you as a brother. Okay. And there's that connection there. And he said to him, shepherd, my sheep. 
Now look in verse 15. This gets really cool too. Now this is often not brought out. I, I don't mean to bang this over your head, but as I went through this study on the word tend and shepherd in the New American, and you can find it in your own Bibles, but tend and shepherd, verse 15 says, tend my lambs. This says, shepherd my sheep. So what's the difference between tending and shepherding? There are actually two different Greek words. The, the first word, tend, is a word that's often used by shepherds to primarily do two things. was to make sure that the sheep were well fed, and secondly, that the sheep were protected from any um, animal or anything that would cause them to lose their life. So when you hear the word tend, you kind of think, oh, tend, oh, come here, come here, little baby. And you think of the, the, the caring aspect. That's a part of it. I don't want to put that aside too far, but I want you to know it's more than an emotional thing. It's where that you are committed to the life of that sheep, that you are going to feed that sheep and you're going to protect that sheep. You got that? Now, the next word is shepherd. That's the word that's also used as pastor. So now it expands it from just taking care of feeding them and making sure the wolves don't get them. Now it's the taking care of them, making sure that they're healthy, making sure that their environment is going to nurture them, that this sheep will grow up healthy and will be a reproducer and will be able to provide itself. And so I'm going to shepherd the sheep. Now, when you look at the passage, the first part says lambs. Verse 16 says sheep. Now, there's a difference between lambs and sheep. For me to answer that, I want you to go to verse 17 now, and I'll come back to that. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And this time, it's a little bit different. Now he says it, do you affectionately love me? So Jesus kind of dialed it down a little bit from do you unconditionally love me? And now he's using Peter's word. And that's why Peter was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Using a different love word there. Are you going to be like a brother to me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things you know that I, again, affectionately love. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So follow in your Bible. You look at the Bible now as I kind of draw your attention to some words. Tend, shepherd, tend. So twice he says tend, which means twice the emphasis is upon feeding and protecting the flocks. So keep that in mind. So we want to make sure if you're going to be those taking care of the next generation Christians as a discipler, that you want to make sure the people you're trying to influence, starting with your family and your extended family through your Bible study group, through people that are in your life, that you are making sure they are getting the Word of God. It's clear, it's correct, it's simple, it's edible, and it's affecting their lives. But you're also making sure that they are not around the, the teaching that's going to harm them spiritually. Then the word shepherd is, you're going to care for them when they have a loss of a loved one, when they're feeling pain, when they're going through some issues in their life. You're wanting to make sure that their environment is the kind that will nurture them. Keep that in mind. Now let's look at the terms. He used the word lambs in verse 15. He used the word sheep in verse 16. In verse 17, the word sheep is in a little bit different spin, and it's the idea of a deer sheep. All right, so now we have lambs, sheep, and deer sheep. Now, folks, I don't want to split a theological here. I'm not trying to wow you with some deep stuff. I could even be wrong about what I'm about to tell you. I don't think I am, but I want you to think about this for a moment. There is a choice between lambs and sheep. Lambs are the young ones, the baby ones. We're going to talk about age, physical age. So if I want to draw a parallel application, it might be that we who are wanting to be fully devoted followers of Christ, we need to remember that there are going to be lots of young people around us, children. 
And God is telling us by extension that we need to feed those children physically and spiritually. We need to protect those young children physically and spiritually. At the same time, we need to nurture them to make sure their environment is healthy so that they then can eat and they can then see what the dangers are so they're growing up to be good reproducers, so to speak. So I speak to all of us here that as a faith family, in a way, God gave us this truth as if we're the Peters today and we're going to be the leaders on this island. And one of the areas that we're going to lead is to look at our own children. Are they getting the very best spiritual food they possibly can given by the best equipped spiritual influencers starting in the home, bleeding over into our Sunday school or special times in the morning? And then what are we doing to own that for ourselves? Are we then going to be the ones to own this, to learn how to feed them in the home and outside the home? Then it uses the word sheep there, and the word sheep there is sheep, just sheep. And when you think of sheep, besides being smelly and dirty, one characteristic of sheep, besides being dumb, is that they get scattered. It's easy for them to get scattered. That's why they had shepherds to watch out. Sometimes they had sheep dogs to kind of uh, get the sheep moving and also to maybe scare out some of the animals that were there. They would bring them in at night into a sheep pen. That's why Jesus said, I am the door of that pen. You got it, okay? So the simple point is this, is that since sheep scatter and we are to shepherd the scattering sheep, that means that if you see someone that's not here today, why aren't they here? That's not a guilty statement. It's, why aren't they here? Well, I don't know. Well, then maybe you who know them, and don't wait for, okay, Peter, uh, no, no, tell Thomas to do this. You be the Peter now, and you give him a call and find out what they need. You're not giving them a condemnation. You weren't at church today. Don't do that. Don't do that. Find out. Are they hurting? Are they lost? Have they lost their vision, lost their focus? Are they sick? Do they have a legitimate reason? Not every Sunday, everybody's got to be here every single Sunday, but do they care? Do we care? Do they know that we care? And then it talked about the next sheep, the deer sheep. And that could be just the tender term. So you don't see the lambs and the sheep that we're to minister to as just being objects of humans out there. They are dear to our soul. Your son and your daughter mean a lot to me. We, we spent a lot of time, the team did, to evaluate all the different Sunday school material that was out there. They developed first a paradigm or a template by which they felt this is what we want our kids to learn and how we need to have the class. And then they took all the curriculum that they could find out there in the world that's basically evangelical and they ran it through this grid and then they selected the curriculum because it was deep, it was comprehensive, it had substance, and then they began to work with, with, with men and women who cared for children, had the knowledge themselves, and that would be properly prepared for the class they would teach. Those are dear, dear teachers. And they see your kids as dear children. So when you look at your brothers and sisters in Christ, see them as very dear and very loving. That's what that phrase means. Go back to the passage if you have your pens ready. I'm going to give you this last word, a couple of applications, and we'll end with one more point. We'll go home. Notice in verse 15, he says, Tend my lambs. Verse 16, Shepherd my sheep. Verse 17, Tend my sheep. If you will, circle the word my, my, my. Sometimes um, 
you, you can be so responsible, so conscientious, because remember, an overextension of a strength becomes a weakness. So you can become so caring and so much driven to take care of these people that you forget that those sheep belong to the Lord. You begin to control them because you now sense them as your sheep. You, you and me, we who are in ministry trying to change lives and help them come to a greater relationship with the Lord, we need to realize they still are the sheep of His pasture, not our pasture. The Lord says, He is the chief, great, and good shepherd, and He lives in me, the hope of glory, and so now I'm going to rely upon Him to shepherd His own sheep. So I'm nothing more than maybe His mouthpiece, I might be His earthly arms, I might be His ear to listen to them when they're pouring out their hurts and habits and hang-ups. I'm for them, but I don't own those sheep. And so that is not a rebuke as much as it's to be an encouragement to you. Do you know why? Because when the sheep you're trying to work with really do do stupid stuff, moi, when they do stupid stuff, just give them to the Lord. They belong to Him anyway, right? You pray for them. You let the Lord take care of them. You be patient with them. And that'll help you to know that you don't own the ministry. He does. You're just His servant. And you might just with a little twinkle of your eye and a little smile on your face and a heart of humility, just say, thank you, Lord, that you allowed me to even be a small part of this, that you'd use someone such as me. Give them back to the Lord. So do you want to make a, per- a difference in a person's life? Let me go through one, two, three. Number one, make loving Christ your first priority. You can't love them until you love Christ first. In fact, I call it the great confession, the great commandments, and the great commission. The great confession is when the Lord said to Jesus, or when Jesus said to Peter, said, who do you say that I am? Peter shot out first. He said, you are the Christ, the living Son of God. That's your confession. You've got to have that first before you can do number two, which would be the great commandment. Commandment number one is love the Lord thy God with all our heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. You cannot genuinely love him in a way that God would accept until you confess him as Jesus as the Savior, as the one who died and rose again, and then clearly then surrender to him afterwards as the Lord of your life, that he is the Lord. You recognize that he is Lord, he died, he rose again, he is all that package together. You're trusting in him. Now that you do, you can authentically love him with that new heart. But if you really love him, the second part of that commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you really love them, then the Great Commission kicks in when it says, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So to do that with them, you want to help them have the great confession. You want to teach them to have the great commandment of loving the Lord. You want them to love their neighbor. You want them to do what you're doing to them, which is to make a disciple out of them. Help them come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that all starts with you first loving Christ with all of your heart. Do you love him with all your heart, soul, and mind? Number two. Take to heart Christ's forgiveness for your greatest sins. Take to heart Christ's forgiveness for your greatest sins. Now, I'm not here to divide up what's the worst sin, what's all of this. I think the first sin is a sin of unbelief, but let's go back to this. I'm going to put greatest in quotes. I'm going to talk about, for some of you, you have the idea that Jesus is a good Savior. He can save you from this stuff. This is a great, wonderful Savior. He can forgive me of this stuff. But I would not be a bit surprised if there's not some of you in this room right now listening and you're thinking, you do not know the depravity of my life before I came to Christ. I know intellectually, maybe even theologically, that on the cross he could forgive me of all sin. The sacrifice was once for all, done and over with. No sin was too big. I get all of that then, but right now I keep bringing up the guilt from that past thing that I've ever done wrong. And my point simply here is you have to take to heart when Jesus forgives you, he forgets that. 
And if you keep pulling that back up again, Satan is going to continue using that to make you feel like you can never influence someone else because you got this in your life. In fact, what you might want to do is look at that sin that's in your life, and you probably have the consequences as a result of it. Look at them now as scars. And don't look at those as scars as something for you to get down with. Use those as scars as to remind yourself of the horrificness of sin only to launch you into a joy of surrender to Him. So, take to heart, Christ has forgiven you of all sin. You are still usable for Him once that sin is forgiven and forsaken. The third is believe Jesus wants, can, and will use you to make a great difference in other people's lives. And He really can. He can make a great difference in someone else's life. I want to tell you about one lady. She's in her 90s. She comes here early in the morning. She does something for all of us. She doesn't teach anything. She doesn't sit with any crying baby in any nursery that I know of. But you know what she does? She makes a difference. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.